Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Remember that last week we learned that all important lesson not to kids, do you remember? Not to anybody? Yes? Not to grumble. Not to grumble or complain. Not to fight with each other about the work that we are doing, that we've been given to do. And this week, we learn to do just the opposite of grumbling, which is to rejoice. That theme that we see over and over again in this letter, and indeed all through Scripture, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. You know that song, right? You know that verse, right? Paul repeats that command to us. God repeats that command to us over and over and over again. And one of the things that so often stands in our way is precisely the this work that we've been given to do and the realities of what it looks like. And we think the work is hard, therefore I cannot rejoice. And the implication immediately becomes, therefore I have something good to grumble and complain about. I have good reason to be distraught, distressed, dissatisfied. And Paul flips it all on its head the way we naturally think of ourselves, and he says, No, don't grumble, don't complain, don't fight and dispute this work that you've been given to do. Rejoice, even if, even as you are being used up completely. And that is our work. That is the work that Paul describes of himself at this point. He says, And there are two other places where he describes himself this way. He says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, even if I am being offered as a sacrifice. Now, some of you probably remember when I talked about that phrase in 2 Timothy. We come to it again now this morning. Paul is here emphasizing the fact that not only is it okay, but he will actually rejoice in the process of himself being poured out as a drink offering, doing the work that God has given him. And that is what he urges us to do as well that we rejoice as we do our work because it is not in vain, that we rejoice when we do our work because we do it out of love for others, and that we rejoice as we do our work even 
as we are sacrifices for sacrifices. We are sacrifices for sacrifices. And that's where we'll be focusing this morning. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As usual, Paul isn't content that he would rejoice. It's not good enough that Paul be some sort of super apostle who manages to sing when he's in jail and and praise God when he's allowed to suffer along with Peter and whoever else managed to pull that crazy feat off, right? His intent is that we would all rejoice like him with him. knowing that we will face many of the same difficulties, knowing that we will face many of the same temptations and trials that he is undergoing at that time, knowing that the Philippians themselves are likely to also be poured out as drink offerings. That in fact... Christians are always being poured out as drink offerings. And in one sense, to be poured out as a drink offering seems very pointless. Now, I think you'll be able to get this easily because we have a very materialistic view of the world in general. So, if I take this bottle of water and I open it up and I pour it out on the ground. I'm going to do it metaphorically today. You have to imagine because I don't want to make a big mess. But what would I accomplish by pouring out this water? Making a mess. That's all I would accomplish, right? Something to clean up, which is why I'm not going to do it. This is What happens when a drink offering is poured out? You take the wine, you dump it in the dirt. It's gone. The only thing you've done is made a mark in the dirt. It seeps into the ground, and it's gone. Maybe the dust rises a little bit as it's pouring. Maybe some splatters go out and get on your feet. But other than that, What's left? What's been accomplished? 
we think the answer is nothing. The ground's wet, that's it. And yet Paul is convinced that even if he's poured out as a drink offering, it's not pointless. And this is part of why he is able to rejoice even in the process of being poured out. Paul has been given the work of an apostle. And in particular, the apostle to the Gentiles. Which means that if you're not a Jew, we look to Paul in some special way for the spreading of the gospel to the people who were not the people of God. Not the Jews, but the Gentiles, who then God grafted into his vine, the true vine, and made part of his church. Just like Paul was one untimely born. Remember, he he was made an apostle so much later than the other apostles. He doesn't belong. And then he's sent to the people who are made God's people so much later than the, the other people. So much later than the Jews. We don't belong. And yet Paul has had the joy in his lifetime and then even afterwards of the word spreading to the ends of the earth. Through his letters to the Philippians. Here we are, a bunch of Gentiles reading Paul's letters Today, studying them. The fruit from Paul's labor is amazing. It's big. It's marvelous. And now he wants us all to rejoice with him as though we're accomplishing the same thing and we all go, <laughs> right. Now, nah, it's just, sorry, I'm not Paul. I mean, I can see how he could rejoice somehow or another. I mean, it's like he's amazing. He's an apostle. He's super holy. Whatever. That's not me. So he can do the rejoicing. I'll do the grumbling. Well, no, we're not allowed to do the grumbling. We already got rid of that last week. So he says, do the rejoicing and do it with me. So how are we going to rejoice? How are we going to rejoice? Well, we're going to rejoice even if we are being poured out as drink offerings. Let's get that out of the way. It doesn't sound fun, does it? But even as Paul's fruit has been amazing, so his pouring out was uh, worse. How many times was he shipwrecked in the process of being poured out? How many times was he beaten? That's the only one where he just says, I don't even know how many times I've been beaten. Times without number. How many times was he given 39 lashes by the Jews? How many times 
Was he in danger on the road? Dangers from his countrymen? Dangers from strangers? Dangers? This is Paul being poured out as a drink offering. None of us have had to face anything like it. So if Paul can rejoice in that and see the the greater fruit that comes from it, maybe we can be poured out in a smaller way, in a gentler way, see the fruit from it, a smaller fruit, yes, and rejoice in that work that we've been given to do. None of us have been given the work that Paul was given to do. And yet, all of us have been given work, and all of us are called to give of ourselves to God in sacrifice. And what of ourselves are we required to give? All of ourselves. Every last bit of our life, every last bit of our body, every tiny little desire of our heart, all of it is given in service to God. Why? Because He bought us with a price. All of us is paid for. And this is why we are slaves to God and to His holiness and no longer slaves to our sinful members. The question isn't one of living free and independent and doing what we want versus being owned by God and having to give up our whole body, soul, mind, strength, and heart to Him and doing, being a slave to Him and doing what He wants. The difference is between being a slave of God and being enslaved to our own lusts. In the words, immortal words of that terrible singer, wonderful musician, gonna serve somebody? You're going to serve somebody. Right? Who are you going to serve? No matter what work you've been given to do by God, it is not in vain if you obey Him. Let's start with that. If you work if you do that work in obedience to him, it is not in vain. Now, the reason I want to start with this is because Paul is talking about whether his work is going to be in vain or not. Paul recognizes here the glorious fruit of children in the faith. He wants to see the Philippians come into that kingdom on the great day as children of God, when God judges the living and the dead. 
He wants them to persevere to the end. And so this is why he says that they must hold fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. If there was no fruit from our work, it would be in vain in some sense, wouldn't it? But what we have to realize is that the fruit of our work is often as difficult to see as the point of the drink offering being poured out. What did it accomplish? All those conversations... And what? In the end, rejecting God, turning away from His truth, abandoning the faith, and even turning on you. So many times, the fruit that we are looking for is not the fruit that God has determined to give to any work, any particular work that we're doing. Paul is willing to die. Why is he willing to die? He wants to see the fruit. And he's willing that he would be poured out, that he would die, that he would be used up entirely in order to see that good fruit. This is why elsewhere he writes that he would be, he, he would love to die so that the people of God, the Jews, would repent and turn to him that they would be saved. His desire is that many would be saved. And this is why I want us to see that Paul's first underlying assumption here is that it is a glorious work to bring children into the kingdom of God. It is a glorious work. Now, Paul is not married and does not have earthly children. And yet, he is doing the work of bringing children into the faith, isn't he? But the normal way that that happens is by Christians getting married and having children and raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is the normal way. That is the glorious fruit that Paul wants to see for himself and that he can only get through preaching and planting churches. And yet, that many of you 
have been given the gift and opportunity to do in that simple act of faith to bear children and to raise them in the Lord. Now, the moment that you begin to compare those two things is the moment that you begin to realize, you know what? I think I know something of this being poured out. I think I understand something of this being used up. You children don't understand, but Lord willing, one day you will. The way that your parents, your mother, your mother first, is used up in bearing you, in feeding you, and then your father too. Used up. Hard, hard work. Nor do you understand the love that they have for you that motivates them to be willing to be completely used up so that your life would be hid with Christ Jesus. On high. Why is Paul willing to be used up, poured out completely, quickly, to die for the Philippians and to even rejoice doing it and to insist that they rejoice doing it? The reason is because he loves them. This is why parents make all kinds of sacrifices for the sake of their children. Now, sometimes the sacrifices that they make are not because they fear God and love God. And yet, that love and willingness to sacrifice is there even among non-Christians. Foolish. Foolish people. I just saw a headline, one of the, uh, the the longest jail sentence for the parents caught up in the uh, scandal of buying their children's way into prestigious universities was five months. Five months in jail for a father of one of these children. I don't know what school he was trying to get his kid into. <clears throat> well, think about that. Willing to sacrifice, now you might say willing to sacrifice jail time, but that's not what he was actually sacrificing. That was not his intent. It was a risk. But what did he sacrifice? He sacrificed his integrity and his good name for the sake of what? 
his children to have an opportunity to get ahead in this world, to have a step up on everybody else, right? What utter foolishness. And yet, don't you see how in some some ways how natural it is that we sacrifice for the sake of our children because we love them. Now you might say, well, that's not love for his kid. That's that's him just being selfish further. And I say, well, yeah. I mean, we we even our most loving actions are corrupted by selfishness, aren't they? But Paul is willing to die. Paul is willing to be used up in order that the Philippians' faith would be confirmed. Now this is something that requires faith on the part of Paul himself to believe that by him dying, their faith would actually be strengthened and confirmed. I think of my uncle Nathan who died when I was in college. He had four children and the faith that it required for him to face his impending death, knowing that he was leaving behind a wife and four children. Does he have faith that God would use that for good in their lives? knowing that it will carry with it very strong temptations to be angry at God, strong temptations to reject the faith, that it will bring with it many trials. Here Paul is, and these are his children, the the Philippian church, these people that he loves. And How does he describe this potential of being poured out as a drink offering? He says, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. That's what allows him to rejoice and to share his joy with them, even at that possibility of him dying. This is not how we think of fruit and children, whether physical or of the faith, today. We think that for a child to be born and a mother to die is just an utter shame. Is it sad? Yeah. But I want you to think about that. How many women down through history have given up their life in order that a child may be born? And are you going to sit in judgment on them and on their faith? Because we have the joy of modern medicine, 
and that rarely happens today. What a sad, small view of the work of mothers. Of the faith that it requires. Paul is willing to be poured out because he loves them and he desires that their faith would be confirmed. If we love them, what better thing, what more can we do than die for them? Is there anything greater than that? To be used up, to be poured out, to die to yourself. And you say, well, you know, it's easy to look heroically on actually dying. If I was faced with the choice of me living and my child dying or vice versa, obviously I I would die so my children could live, right? But would you die day by day, week by week, year by year, being poured out slowly? Or does that cup have to be poured quickly for you? What better thing can we do for the children that we love than raise them in the faith? And is that easy work? It's not. Loving others is always selfless. We've seen that earlier in this chapter. The humility and selflessness of Christ And here Paul is, and he is also willing to die for the sake of their salvation, for the sake of the fruit of them being added to the family of God. Paul is happy to be a sacrifice because he loves them, but he also then takes that a step further in calling them a sacrifice. How are the Philippians a sacrifice? They are a sacrifice the same way that Samuel is a sacrifice when Hannah gives him up to the Lord. What did Hannah want more than anything else? A son. Children with her husband, whom she loved. And when God answered her prayer, she turned around and she gave him up as a sacrifice to the Lord. She sent him, he was probably three or four years old, to serve with Eli in the tabernacle. Here Paul is and he's speaking of his own sacrifice on behalf of 
the Philippians, and then he calls it the sacrifice and service of their faith that he's being poured out on. This is where it just turns into this repeating loop. You are poured out in the work of bearing and raising and training up children in God's kingdom so that they may be what? What we always want to do at that point is so that they may be people who never face the reality of sacrificing, right? So that they never have to face the hard things that I had to face. But what Paul is saying is, I'm being poured out so that you can be poured out. I'm being poured out so that you can, with your whole being and body, be a sacrifice in service to the Lord. It's so that you can be poured out. And then I rejoice because if I die, I see it propelling you forward, confirming the faith. And then you being poured out in continuation of that work. Paul has offered them up to God. Just as Hannah offered Samuel up to God. Just as we must offer our children up to God. And we must never do the inverse, the opposite of what Paul is doing here. Paul commands that even as he is poured out, that they rejoice with him because he's rejoicing to be poured out for them, knowing that they will then continue in it. So much of the root of grumbling... So much of the root of complaining is when we are resistant to being poured out ourselves and think the only way that it would be worthwhile is if in the end our children didn't have to be poured out. You see, being a sacrifice is terrible. But at least I want to see the fruit of me being poured out so that nobody else has to, so that those I love don't have to. Paul flips that entirely on its head and says, no, I rejoice as I'm being poured out because it, it propels you, it confirms you in that faith. It establishes you in the sacrifice and service of your faith. And what is the sacrifice and the service? The sacrifice is being used up. And the service is the work that he's calling them to. It's this repeating loop. We love to talk about it in handing down to faithful men, those who will hand it down to faithful men themselves. So Paul is teaching, you've got four generations in the faith being described there. It's a beautiful thing, right? But that faith always looks like being used up in service to God. And that is the beautiful thing. So Paul rejoices that they then will be 
strengthened in the work of being used up, of being poured out themselves, if he is poured out. And so Paul rejoices to be used up. Not so that nobody else will be used up, but so that they will follow in his footsteps. So as you raise your children, and children as you grow, the work that you have been given to do by God, faithfulness, the the way that it looks to be a Christian, is to give up your whole life to God. And sometimes it will feel very meaningless, like being poured out like wine on the ground. But God is bringing about good fruit through that so that others would live in service to him. So that your faith would be strengthened. So that the sacrifice that you are called to, the service, that work that you've been given to do by God, that they would be fruitful. And the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. So don't look at your parents and the sacrifices that they have made to raise you in the faith and despise them. Do not look, parents, at your children and think the only way that this works the only way that this is worth it, the only way that the sacrifices, the pain, the difficulty, the being poured out for them is worth it, is if they never have to be poured out. Do you want them to serve the same God that you serve? Then they will be called to the same work that you've been called to. And it's Good work. So rejoice that you are being poured out. And even though you you know that there will be temptations, that they will look at you and think, oh, that's miserable, being poured out. I don't want to follow in that. Trust God that it is precisely by being poured out that you do it in service of their sacrifice and service. And that it will not be in vain. So you can rejoice that you've been given this opportunity of being used up in service to God. Let's pray.